In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. In the gospel today, in, in the Vespers gospel, we hear about the disciples seeing the Lord Jesus Christ walking on water and being afraid. And then the Lord says to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. The Lord's message today is precious to us. Very often we find ourselves, like the disciples, in fear. We find fear entering our hearts. We find that we are uh, troubled about many things. We get anxious about many things, and the Lord knows that. And so very often in Scripture, He reassures us. He says to us today, for example, do not be afraid. In another place, He says, let not your heart be troubled, and so on. And so He keeps reminding us of such words because He knows that despite the fact that you know, we may know we shouldn't be shaken, we shouldn't be troubled, we lose focus. And that's what happened today with St. Peter. Because the psalmist tells us in, in one of the psalms, he says, In the Lord I put my trust. How can, I say to my so how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? This, this, this passage here shows us that there are many voices against this trust that the Lord wishes us to have. There are many voices that come and say, no, 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 the Lord says do not fear. Do not be afraid, but you should be afraid. And these voices, that's the idea here, flee as a bird to your mountain. How can you say this? I put my trust in the Lord. How can you tell me to flee? This is fleeing because I'm afraid. And so how can you say this to my, my soul? Meaning there are voices. These voices can be the voices of people around me. These voices can be internal voices, me thinking, overthinking things, and being worried about many things. It could be the voice of the demons themselves whispering in my ear certain doubts, saying to me, don't trust him. And so there are many, many voices around us. And if we think either just generally, just external things, there are people, whether it's on social media or the media itself or our friends or our surroundings, they keep instilling fear in our hearts. And so we lose that trust, we lose that focus. And so the Lord says again to us, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And again, in another place, like I said, let not your heart be troubled. And so St. Peter today, we can look at him and say, okay. And St. Peter saw Christ walking, and when he realized it's Christ, he said, Lord, tell me to come. When he heard the Lord say, be of good cheer, it is I, he was cheerful. The presence of the Lord gives us this joy. Realizing that he is present with us brings joy to our hearts and gives us courage to do things we thought we could not do. And so St. Peter says, okay, tell me to come. And the Lord says, come. And he begins walking. And he walks on water and then he begins to sink. But why did he sink? It says, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. He began sinking because he looked at the wind. The wind was there when he began walking. The storm was present. It's not like, okay, he began walking and then the winds began. No, the storm was there. The winds were there. But he took his eyes off of Christ. And the moment he took his eyes off of Christ is the moment he began sinking. And that's important to all of us because yeah, very often, too often, we come, for example, to the church. We hear a nice sermon. We, we partake of the Holy Eucharist. We walk out feeling you know, filled. We, we walk out feeling reassured. And the moment something comes our way, or we remember the winds in our lives, we take our eyes off of Christ, and we look at the, the trials and tribulations around us. And we begin sinking like St. Peter. We get distracted 
because we take off our eyes off of Christ, and so we, we, we have an issue. But there are many that came before us that showed us it is possible to trust the Lord. We can think of St. Paul, your patron saint. St. Paul, you know, he has this thorn in the flesh, and three times he asks God, Lord, take away this, this thorn. And the Lord says no. The Lord says, I'm in control. St. Paul in his mind, okay, I'm going to preach to all these nations. I'm going around. Perhaps if you remove this thorn, it would be better for me and for the message that you're you want me to deliver to the people for it to be delivered more efficiently take out this thorn and he prays once twice three times and then he realizes no it's not the will of god and so i need to trust him saint paul thinks to himself probably he trusts the lord okay you're in control you said no three times this is good for me i will accept it and so sometimes we too have that same attitude saint paul thought it would be better for him to be healthy the lord said no and so we too sometimes experience certain situations in our life, maybe uh, an issue with our health, maybe an issue with uh, uh, a relative's health, and we think, okay, Lord, take this away. And the Lord says, no, this is for your good. This is for the good of the person. Trust God. He knows what is best. In the Old Testament, Moses the prophet, you know, there's the ten plagues, and finally him and the people of Israel depart from Egypt, they're in, they're, 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 they get to the Red Sea, and Moses has with him about 600,000 men plus women and children, so he's got maybe three, four million people surrounding him. And they get to the Red Sea, and they're stuck, and they see Pharaoh and his chariots following behind. And the people began murmuring and complaining, and they say to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're saying to him, we could have just died in Egypt. Why did you bring us here? What's the point of all this? Moses, after seeing the hand of God in Egypt, and all these people, the people of Israel, saw the hand of God in Egypt. The Lord delivered them after the ten plagues. They saw the ten plagues with their own eyes. They saw the angel of death pass and kill the firstborn of the Egyptians and spare them. And after seeing all this, they said that. But Moses answered wisely, he said to them, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And Moses, you got to remember, Moses said this before he even spoke to God. Moses, after saying this, he called upon God and said, Lord, basically help us. And the Lord said to him, okay, use, your, use the rod, tap the, the water and, and the sea will be parted. But Moses said this to the people because he trusted God. Before he had even spoken, he knew God would deliver them. He knows and trusts that God is capable. Are we able to be like, God, like Moses, sorry, trusting that when we are at this roadblock, when we think it's impossible to get through an issue in our lives, to say, no, you know what? I shouldn't be afraid. Let me stand still and see the salvation of my God in my life. See how he will deliver me by his mighty hand. This is what Moses said to the people, and it was accomplished. For he trusted, the Lord said, go ahead. The sea will be parted, and you'll never see these Egyptians again. Are we confident that God fights for us, that he provides for us, that he protects us? Or are we like the children of Israel, always murmuring and saying, you've taken us away to die in this wilderness? Another example is David. David, the prophet and king in the Old Testament again. 
this giant Goliath is troubling the people of Israel. And this young boy, David, comes along and says to the king, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David's a young boy. Everybody's afraid of Goliath. And David says, let no man's heart fail. Let not man's heart be troubled. Do not be troubled. Because David remembers in his heart and in his mind the works of God in his life. David remembers what the Lord did for him. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He remembers the good of God in his life. We too, when we remember the things that God did for us in our lives, we will find that we trust him just like David did. He's never abandoned us, and so why would he abandon me now? And Saul, Saul brings his armor and, and his shield and everything, and David can't bear it. He can't, it's too heavy for him. So he says, no, I don't need any of this. And he kills Goliath with one stone and one shot. He sees a giant in front of him, a big problem in front of him, and he's not faced by it. He trusted in the Lord. Goliath laughs at him, mocks at him. He says to him, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. David says to him, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. So you have all these weapons, David says to Goliath. You have all these things to distract me or even maybe defeat me, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. None of these things you have can defeat me. Not your spear, not your sword, not your javelin, not you being this giant in front of me. You may have scared others, but I put my trust in the Lord, so I won't be distracted. It is I do not be afraid, the Lord says to us. If you have a Goliath of a problem in your life, if you have a problem at work, a problem at school, a fear that, that, that shakes you, a huge issue, a decision to make, trust that God can defeat this big problem. Trust that God can completely abolish it but put your trust in him. The psalmist in Psalm 5, he says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. There is joy in putting our trust in God. It comes with joy. It comes with peace. It comes with blessedness. At the end of Psalm 2, in the first hour, we pray, why do the nations rage against me? And he goes on through a list of things. And then at the end, he says, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. There's joy and blessing in trusting in God. And so we know we need to trust him. But what do we do? First of all, what does trust mean? When you Google it, when you look, for example, and you know, if you just Google it or go on dictionary.com or Merriam-Webster or not, you'll find different definitions, but they all revolve around relying on someone. So one of the definitions is reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety of a person or thing. A person on whom uh, one relies. And so I rely on a person. I rely on someone, on something. And so in our case, if we're going to say we trust in God, it means I rely on him. But how can I rely on someone unless, number one, I know him? And so I need to know him. I need to know him well. In Psalm 9, he says to us, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Knowing his name, 
Speaking to him, calling him by his name is a privilege that we now have as children of God, daughters and sons of God. And we can call him by his name, something they could not do prior to Christ coming in the flesh. And so it's a privilege for us to call him by his name. In the Monday Sali, the second paragraph in the Tazbihah, in the Midnight Praises, we say, everyone who says, my Lord Jesus, is likened to a sword casting down the enemy. So simply calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm likened to a sword casting down the enemy. So the enemy comes to me with fears. He comes to me with problems. Let me call upon his name. And I will find that he is destroyed. I'm using a weapon given to me. And so when the enemy comes with me with all these troubles, distractions, tribulation, weaknesses, and sins in my lives, let me call upon him. But as for me, in Psalm 31, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Because I know you, I say you are my God. Others may not know you, so they fear. Others may not know you, so they don't, they don't know what you can do for them. But I know you, so I trust you. The knowledge leads to trust. And so the more we get to know him, and how do I get to know him? Very simply, Yanni, when you study the Bible, you get to know him well. When you speak to him often, you get to know him well and you hear his voice in your life. And I'm not just talking about our prayers being, okay, Abuna tells me to pray the Agbeya, so I do that and I, I check it and I say, I prayed the Agbeya. I'm saying get to know him, speak to him, spend time with him. It's not a task. It's someone you love and you want to speak to and you want to get to know. And so unless you get to know him, all these prayers are just things you do on a checklist. And so you need to pause, cut your day, speak to him frequently. Short prayers, the arrow prayers like the, Lord, the Jesus prayer, my Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me. My Lord Jesus Christ help me. My Lord Jesus Christ guide me. All these short prayers take two seconds. But if I say them throughout the day, I find I cut my day and I speak to him. And speaking to him, I begin to know him. I begin to hear his voice. Reading what his word is to me today, I begin to hear his voice. And so I begin to know him intimately. You know, in the monastery, when we used to hire people to do some construction work or repair work, we'd hire people locally very often. But because I don't know them, I would call certain people who are in this field, people that I know that I can trust, and I would tell them, this is the quote I got, this is the work they're going to do, can you review it for me, can you check it? And if that person reviews it and says, yes, go for it, I trust them 100%, I do it. Because I know that person, I can rely on them. But the first person who gave me the quote, I don't know him, so I don't know if I can rely on them. So with our God, how much more? The more I know him, the more I can trust him. The more I read his promises, the more I feel like he will never abandon me. He's never abandoned me in the past. Why would he now? And so I know he's very kind and he will continue to be kind with me. I know he's very merciful and he will continue to show me mercy. I know he's forgiven a multitude of my sins in the past and he will never stop until the day I die as long as I offer repentance. I know that he has many solutions for the obstacles and difficulties and fears I have in my life. And so I will turn to him and trust because I know him and nothing can shake me. 
No one can shake me. St. Polycarp, one of the early martyrs of our church, something beautiful in his life. You know, the, the proconsul takes him and he sees he's an 86-year-old man. He doesn't want to kill him. And so he says to him, basically, just deny Christ. Just deny him. And you can believe him basically in your heart. Just deny him and I will release you. I will let you go. St. Polycarp answers, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? 86 years. He has done me no wrong. I've known him for 86 years. It's unthinkable for me. 86 years I've served him. 86 years I've known him. 86 years I've known that he is good to me. So how can I turn from doing good to doing evil? And so even in the face of persecution, a man like St. Polycarp, he knew that he may, may give up his life, but because he knows God, he trusts that it's something better than this life here on earth. Full trust. He has no doubts. One time I was in the airport and I was turning on my, my Wi-Fi and I saw like one of the hotspots, I guess someone with an iPhone nearby had their hotspot and they named it Jesus loves you, God has a plan. And it made me smile because it made me think truly. And do we believe this person's preaching through their phone, basically. They have this this hotspot and they're preaching in the airport to everybody. But they're they're passing on a very valid message. God has a plan. He loves me. Do I trust that? Do I believe that? If I know him, I know he loves me. If I know him, I know he has a plan. And whatever situation I'm in, I need to rely on him to trust him. So number one, we said we need to know him. In order to rely on him, in order to trust him, I need to know him well. Number two, practice his presence. The Lord is present to us. He's everywhere and he's with us. But we are absent to him. We don't make ourselves present to him. In the Old Testament, Jacob flees from his brother. And on the way, he falls asleep. He sleeps. And he wakes up from this. And when he wakes up, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And this is something we can all say. Surely the Lord is in this place. He's with me everywhere, but I did not know it. I didn't know he was with me when I was at work. I didn't know he was with me when I was in this problem. I didn't know he was with me when I was in this situation. But he was there with me. I just didn't open my eyes, the eyes of my heart. I didn't turn to him. And so it applies in every situation. In one of the apologetic books, there's a story about this young girl. She believes in God and her dad doesn't. And so her dad, she tries to convince her dad day after day. And her dad is this, this man who's, you know, convinced that there is no God. He's an atheist. And then one day, her dad leaves to work and writes a note. And he writes, God is nowhere on the note. And the girl wakes up. She sees the note and she's so happy. So she calls her dad. And she's thanking him and she's saying to him, like, I love you, dad. Thank you so much for this note. And the dad's really confused. And he's like, what are you talking about? Why, why, why are you saying this? And so she said, dad, you wrote, you wrote, God is now here. When you write the word nowhere, if you join, you know, if you separate the, the, the W from the where, it's now, now here. And so she saw it that way. Her mind was always with God. Her mind was present to him. 
she made herself present to him. And so everything in front of her, she saw with that eye. God is now here. Do I see it that way? Do I experience my life in that light? So when we spend time with him, we get to know him. We also practice our, uh, putting ourselves in his presence. We can practice this in the little things. You know, I include him. I need to include him in everything. I need to involve him in every small thing in my life. And I can have triggers. For example, if I'm a doctor and I walk into a patient's hospital room, or if I'm a nurse and I walk into a patient's hospital room, before entering the room, I can practice saying a small prayer, Lord, bless this patient. And upon walking out, I can say, glory be to you, O Lord, for, for standing by this patient. Before starting a drive, I get in the car and I say, Lord, bless this, uh, this trip. A small prayer, but I practice being in his presence. Before starting anything, I can always include him. And so even before picking up a phone, Lord, protect me from gossiping on this phone call. How often do we gossip and talk about useless things? And so I include him. And when I include him, I realize he's present. Why would I include him if I don't realize he's present? And so the more I do this, the more I put myself in his presence. There's a story um, of a Catholic man. It's, it's shared by a Catholic saint. His name was Saint Jean Vanier. This man, uh, this priest, he shares this story about this peasant who used to go to work he would farm, but before going to work in the morning, he would pass by the church when it was empty, and he would kneel down on a specific bench on, in a pew and just stare at the altar. And he wouldn't say anything. And then he would go off to work, come back in the evening, and go back to that bench and, and basically just kneel down, and this time for several hours, every evening. So every morning and every evening he did this. One day, Saint Jean Vianney, this priest, went up to him, and he asked him, what, what do you do? I see you, you're sitting there, you're just staring, and you're not saying anything. So what do you say? And he tells him, I don't say anything to him, and he doesn't say anything to me. I look at him, and he looks at me, and we are happy. How beautiful. Just puts himself in God's presence, and he's joyful being in his presence. Maybe we're not there yet. Maybe I'm not at that spiritual level yet. That's fine. But let me practice it. Let me do the little things that lead me to it. Remembering that he is with me by saying short prayers, having triggers throughout the day. We, we, you know, if, if I put it in my mind, every time I go through a door, I'm going to say a prayer. How many times do we go through doors? So often. It's a trigger to remind me that he is there. So number one, we said we need to know him. Number two, we said practice his presence. Number three, we need to sandwich our thoughts. And here's what I mean. First of all, King Solomon in Proverbs 3, 5, he says to us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So in the, in the, when we face different situations, different problems, fears, or even decisions to make, oftentimes we use our logic. We begin thinking right away. And it's good. We, God gave us a mind to think. But what King Solomon is saying here, don't lean on that understanding of yours. Don't lean just on your logic. And so before doing anything, start by prayer. You have a situation, before you think, pray. Say a prayer. Turn to him and say, Lord, guide me. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. And then think. And after you've thought about it, pray again. 
And so you sandwich the thought, your own understanding of the matter with prayer. And you're asking God to do what is right for you. And so when you pray and you think and you pray again, then you'll find that the decision you make is more in line with the thoughts of God and his ways. And less often will it be your own way of thinking. You might correct it eventually by doing the sandwich technique. And so I turn to God right away and I pray and I ask him to, to resolve the issue and I abandon myself to him. Because we know in Isaiah 55, he says to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your, are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so our thoughts may not be like his. And so I must pray for every matter, any matter, to know what his way is. And so I put it before him and I ask. It doesn't matter how small or big. And the more I practice this, I'll find that I'm more aligned with what he wants. And when I'm more aligned, I have confidence. I have trust in him. Not too long ago, I heard a story about His Holiness Pope Shenouda. It reflects a verse from the, the epistle of St. Peter. St. Peter tells us, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So if I know he cares for me, I'll throw that baggage, all the stuff I'm worried about, onto him. And so the story I heard was a priest in Egypt. He was saying one time he went to His Holiness Pope Shenouda III of thrice blessed memory. And he asked His Holiness, Your Holiness, you have all these problems of the church on your shoulders. You, you have so many issues. How do you do it? How do you handle it? I have one church and like it's so much. And so His Holiness said to him, it's very simple. Yes, there are many problems. There are many issues and, and many, many, many uh, things that need to be resolved. But I pray about the matter. And I pray once, I pray twice, and I pray three times like St. Paul. And after the third time, I say to God, look, I've prayed three times. The matter is now yours. It's not mine. You resolve it. He casts all his cares upon him, for he cares for us. His holiness had that confidence, that trust, that God is in control, not him. And so it's his church, it's his people, it's his children. I've told you about the matter. Now you handle it. That was how his holiness was so cheerful. He was so easygoing. Why? Because he trusted in God. He cast all his care upon the Lord and so he would probably pray 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 like we said and he didn't lean on his own understanding when we trust God sometimes you know we find that he asks us to follow in unknown places he asks us to be in the dark about certain things and if we use this you know sandwich technique of prayer thinking and, and praying then it's okay if it makes no sense to me it's okay if I don't understand because I trust him not myself when the Lord says, come follow me, he doesn't say, come follow me to this or that place. When he said to Abraham, come follow me, he called him and he said, I'll lead you to the promised land. The, where is this promised land, Lord? Show me on the map. Abraham doesn't say that. He just follows. He doesn't ask. He just goes. And so the Lord says to us, come follow me. I'll lead you to the heavenly Jerusalem, the promised land, the true promised land. But just trust in me. How do I get there? I'll show you. Just follow me. It may be through all these trials, these fears that you experience, these problems, the decisions that are hard to make, but trust me. And so number one, we said know him. Number two, practice its presence. Number three, sandwich your thoughts with prayer. And then number four, 
Sometimes the devil comes and uses our weaknesses, our sins against us. And he wants to prevent us from trusting God through these weaknesses. So he comes to us and he says, well, you sinned again. How can you pray? You sinned again. Even if you pray, do you really believe he's going to answer you? Because, you know, of all the sins you've committed, do you really think he's going to really fulfill your request? He's going to be with you? He's going to punish you. And these are thoughts we have. He's going to punish me for what I did. And yes, there may be consequences to my sins, but God allows us to, he allows us to use these weaknesses we have as a door to trusting him. Because when I realize my weakness and I realize that I am feeble without him, when I realize that I can do nothing without him, when I realize that I cannot overcome whatever sin I have without him, then my only recourse is to turn to him. The only solution is to turn for him for strength. The only solution is to turn for him for grace, to overcome whatever it is I struggle with. And so strength can only come from him. Grace can only come from him. And so when I realize this, I turn to him. And when I'm on bended knees before him, crying over my sins and admitting my sins to him and begging for grace and strength and mercy, then in those moments, the door of grace opens and I begin to trust him again more and more. And so my very weakness that is used by the devil to cause me to despair and to not trust the Lord is the very door God has opened for me to grow and trust in him. It becomes a means for me to cry out and trust him. There's a story about a monk in the paradise of the fathers. This monk used to struggle with the sin of, of lust. And so he would fall every day. And every day he would get up and do some prostrations and pray and ask God for forgiveness. And he did this for three years. And then one day the devil got annoyed at him and he came and said to him, are you not sick of you know, committing the same sin on a daily basis and saying the same prayer and asking for forgiveness for the same thing? Do you really think God's going to forgive you? Do you really think God is going to listen to your prayers? And so the monk in wisdom, because he trusted in the love of God, he answered the devil. And he said, you come to me with sin. You come to me with your fight. And I come to you with the love of God. I will fight you with the love of God. Let us see who wins. And upon hearing this, the devil vanished and he couldn't stand it. And truly from that point on, the devil left him and this monk was no longer fought with this, this, uh, this temptation. And there was a, a, a vision one of the elders saw of three crowns being placed upon this monk for the three years he struggled. And he struggled that way because he trusted in the love of God. He knows God and he knows God loves him and he knows God came for him for his salvation. And so he trusted him and uh, relied on his mercy. And so the, the weakness that he had was a door for him to grow in that trust and to continuously pray. And so number one, we said, we rely on him by first knowing him. I can only trust someone I know. Number two, I need to practice his presence. Number three, we can sandwich our thoughts. The thoughts always come to us, no matter what, but I need to sandwich them with prayer. And then number four, don't let weakness be the door against trust, but rather let it be the door to trusting him. And finally, number five, I'll end with this one. I always use expressions of trust and hope and recall his promises for you. And so the expressions we use impact our heart. 
They impact us deeply. So the words we use can help us grow in our trust for God or can lead us away. So the more I speak positively, no matter what the situation, I can thank God. I can say, Lord, I know that this is for my good. Lord, I know that this is difficult right now and I don't know how, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know you have something prepared. And so I speak in a positive way about it, trusting in God and showing, or at least saying to God, I trust you. And those words will impact my heart and I will begin to grow in my trust for him. And when I recall his promises, the Lord promised us so many things. And like I said, when I get to know him through scripture, I get to know his promises. And when I know his promises, I can recall them in prayer. I can be like Jacob. You know, Jacob, when he's coming back from spending 20 years with his father-in-law, he's going back and he knows he's going to meet his brother Esau and he's terrified. And he says to God, in Genesis 32, he says, I will, uh, he says to God, For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob's afraid, and he recalls one promise the Lord made to him. He says, I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea. When was this promise made? 20 years ago. 20 years ago, but Jacob remembers it. And so in the moment of fear, what does he do? He recalls the promise. And he says to the Lord, you said. And so we can do the same thing. You said, Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so I feel alone, Lord, be with me, support me. You said, Lord, that my sins will be forgiven. I have many sins. Grant me a spirit of repentance and help me feel the forgiveness of sins that you've promised me. You said, Lord, that whatever I ask in your name, I will be given. And so I ask in your name, Lord, grant me salvation. And so on. Recall his promises. And saying the words you said brings trust, reassures us. To know his promises and to know he said it. And to say it to him brings us reassurance, helps our trust grow in him. So we said five things today. Maybe I'll make you repeat them since I said them many times. Number one. Get to know him, know him well. Number two, Sandra writes on her phone, so it's not fair. You're, you're not reading? Okay. Number two, practice being in his presence. Number three, sandwich your thoughts with prayer. Number four, and the devil works against our trust, so use, let your weakness be a door to trusting him. And then number five, Recall his promises. Use positive things. Use positive words because it impacts your heart. And to our God be the glory now and ever and to the end of all ages. Amen.